Hey everybody, Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into our podcast at Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Would you be interested? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. We don't have lasers. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage, but we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the whole world. We sing psalms and hymns, and we preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We love Jesus, and we're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. So would you be interested in coming to a church like that? If so, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. And feel free to visit our website, gospelfellowshippca.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. And now for today's message. We are continuing uh, in our study of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We're in the midst of Christ's sufferings as he is heading uh, towards the cross. Uh, If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, we'll be reading uh, Mark 15 verses 1 through 15. Uh, When you found that, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? From Mark 15, verses 1 through 15, this is the word of the Lord. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. A few months ago, I, I saw a movie named Just Mercy, and it's, uh, it's uh, based on a true story um, about the, uh, the career of a lawyer 
who ends up representing a man who was on death row for a murder that he did not commit. Uh, and uh, he was accused and convicted uh, of this murder uh, because uh, the people involved figured that they could get away with it uh, simply because he was black. Um, and I found many things in this film rather compelling. Uh, if you've seen that movie or perhaps seen similar ones or perhaps read of various kind of court cases where things that are clearly unjust are taking place, uh, it's hard not to have some kind of response to it. Um, anytime something is very clearly evil uh, or very clearly unjust as it's portrayed in front of you, uh, you can't help but respond. In many ways, it's very similar in the text that we have. Uh, it's very clear by any reading uh, that the chief priests, the elders, the council, Pilate, the crowd, what are they doing? They're sinning against Jesus. Uh, there's very clear evil that's being committed. And when we read this text, and perhaps if we see other kind of unjust legal proceedings in front of us, or if you've been involved with them, there's maybe two kinds of responses uh, that we have, or at least responses that I have, I've seen in myself. One sometimes is conviction, right? Uh, it would be easy if what we saw in front of us was merely someone else's problem, but sometimes there's a conviction because we can recognize some of our own sin in what we see. Pilate mentioned envy. <laughs> have we been envious? What would my envious heart have done in a place like that? Uh, uh, it's mentioned how easily the crowd is just swayed by the chief priests and others making a pronouncement that to, so that the crowd leads to making a pronouncement about something that they have no right to say because they don't know what's going on. Have we, have we been led very easily by things like that? Even Pilate, just simply wanting to please the crowd and sort of be, take a pragmatic approach to things. It's so easy. This conviction of sin as we see what's going on uh, here and we recognize that this is not wholly different from the kinds of sin of our own hearts. There's conviction and perhaps even grief that we've found out that things like this have taken place uh, without us knowing. There's also another kind of response, a response of perhaps uh, zeal and maybe inspiration, oddly enough. Uh, when you see something unjust or evil taking place, you can be inspired uh, to see that it does not happen again, right? Uh, if this kind of injustice exists, um, I want to put an end to it or make sure that it doesn't happen to someone else as much as it is within my power and within my grasp to do. Uh, now, the scriptures uh, do reflect on that aspect of what's going on here. Even Jesus himself, um, as he is being betrayed by Judas, as he comes uh, to be taken away, uh, uh, Jesus even reflects on the fact that he is being uh, betrayed into the hands of sinners. Mark 14, 41 says, uh, Jesus had predicted that this would happen. He had said it uh, multiple times in the Gospels. Uh, even the apostles, as they reflect back on what's going on here in Acts 2, 23, Peter says that this Jesus, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's lawlessness that's taking place. Even Acts 4, when the people of God are praying, it talks about how the city was gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. Herod, Pontius Pilate, 
uh, uh, the Gentiles and the people of Israel, all these people involved, not simply pursuing justice, but simply being against him. Uh, They reflect on that. Uh, uh, Paul does something uh, similar in Acts 13. Though they found in him nothing worthy of death, uh, they asked Pilate to have him executed. So clearly the Scriptures reflect upon the injustice and the sinfulness of what is going on. We ought to be convicted by our own sin, uh, perhaps in many good ways inspired to see that such injustice does not happen. But if that's as far as we get in this passage... We have merely scratched the surface. It is the surface. It's a real service, surface. But it is merely scratching the surface of what is going on. And we have a very, uh, very uh, uh, startling clue that that's the case. Right in the middle of our text, as even Pilate himself recognizes, Mark 15, 5, Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Uh, Pilate recognizes that Jesus has done nothing deserving of death, yet still he's silent. Uh, It's an interesting sort of question, what is is required of a just man if he's in a court of law and there are unjust accusations that are being brought, perhaps even sin committed right in front of him, uh, must he speak? Uh, In our study of the Ten Commandments, it's actually one of the things that we talked about, how it's actually uh, important Uh, for you to, in a right way, defend your name uh, against unjust accusations. We entrust ourselves to the Lord, but there's a right and good place to that. Well, why why then is Jesus silent here? There's something surprising. Uh, If it's true what they're saying about him, wouldn't he have made use of the opportunity to decide to sort of say something snarky against Pilate? Well, he he doesn't do that. If it's false... Wouldn't he have said something? What's going on? Pilate, Pilate is then realizing that something more beneath the surface is going on here. Pastor Matt, a few weeks ago, uh, mentioned uh, an Old Testament background to this. I want to turn there briefly. Isaiah 53, where it speaks about the silence of one who is uh, on the way to the slaughter. Listen to this, Isaiah 53, how it speaks of speaks beforehand of Christ as one who had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows in verse 4. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Uh, Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Mouth. See, here's part of what's going on that Pilate does not quite perceive, though he knows there's something else happening here. That what we have just read, what we see in this passage, is not merely what leads to a condemnation to come. But we are seeing played out already that something has come upon Jesus that he is fulfilling the will of someone, and he is already about his atoning work for the sake of sinners. See, Pilate thinks that he's involved in deciding what's going to happen to Jesus. When do we have that played out for us in the gospel? As Jesus is in the garden before the Father, 
Not my will, but yours be done. There is something more and something deeper that is happening in this text. On a first reading, and we would be, this would be true, we come away with this. We see the work of sinners against Christ, but deeper than that, what is happening here is we see the work of Christ for sinners. That's what this text is about. And I want to show you some surprising ways and marvelous ways that we can't help but have that reality sort of show in what's going on. We can't help but see it. They may not understand what's going on, but it comes out. Acts 3, before we get into that, Acts 3, listen to this. This is how the apostles understand what's going on. Acts 3, uh, 13, it talks about the, uh, Jesus was delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one. Verse 15, you killed the author of life. All of these things that took place in Acts 13, Paul says this, that those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him. What is being worked out here, they don't know what they're doing, but they are fulfilling the scriptures. They are fulfilling the very work of God that he has decreed. And this is what's taking place before our eyes. The first thing I want to note and just ask, whose work is this? Whose work is this? There's a word that's repeated multiple times in this passage, and, and is deliver. Uh, the scribes, uh, in uh, verse, verse 1, it says the scribes, and sorry, the chief priests, elders, scribes, the council, they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him over to Pilate. Now, if you're going to deliver someone over, uh, hand over, even betray, as translated earlier with Judas, the same word that he betrayed, handed over Jesus, uh, it presumes that you have someone in your custody in order to hand them over. So here they are. They have Jesus in their custody, bound and led away, and they deliver him over to Pilate. Then Pilate reflects back on that, how they have delivered him over out of envy. It says later that Pilate delivered him over to be crucified. Here you have uh, one group and another handing over to another to do what it is, uh, sort of putting him in someone else's jurisdiction uh, as though uh, they are the ones who set the fate as to what is going on with him. But notice why this happens. It's startling. Every time Jesus is handed over, delivered over, because the people who have him can't do what they want to do with him. They're powerless. The scribes, the elders, the chief priests, what do they want to do? They want to kill him. They're not legally allowed to. That's part of why they bring him to Pilate, that the Jews were not allowed to inflict the death penalty. As much as they want to carry out everything that they desire against him, they're powerless. So they have to deliver him over to another Pilate. What does Pilate want to do? Pilate wants to release him. He's ready to let him go. He sees that he's done nothing evil, but Jesus is silent. So how do you have any counter evidence at this point? But he still recognizes envy is involved. So what does he do? He, he delivers, them, delivers him up, as it, as it were, to the will of the people. But then what happens? They, they desire Jesus to be crucified. Pilate's powerless. So we read in other Gospels how he washed his hands of it, right? 
Gospel of John, it says not only that he delivered him over to be crucified, but delivered him over to them, the people. Uh, always powerless. What's, what's beneath the surface in what is going on? Acts 2.23 says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God is the one who has delivered him up. Romans 8 makes the point of saying this, that God, he who did not spare his only son, but gave him up, it's the same word, gave him up for us all. God has delivered up his son. Jesus, Ephesians 5.25, it talks about how he gave himself up for her, for the church. Same word. He delivers himself up. Whose work is this? It is not most basically the work of sinners against Christ, but the work of Christ for sinners. That's what this is. That's what's going on in front of us. This is the work of God for sinners. How is Christ publicly identified? How is he publicly identified? Well, it's interesting. Uh, the people, these, uh, the, the council and the chief priests and scribes and elders, they had, they, had, they had put together a charge against Jesus that a blasphemy, as you recall. But in Roman law, uh, blasphemy against the Jewish God does not qualify you for the death penalty. Uh, some scholars think that uh, uh, Mark 15:1, when it says that they held the consultation, perhaps that was their opportunity where they gathered together and reframed the charge in a way that's going to get the sentence that they want in Pilate's court. So they, they, they have to come up with uh, some, some kind of sentence that is going to uh, cause him uh, to, to be crucified and to be killed. And of course, what do they come up with? Calling him king. <laughs> that he is king of the Jews. So that even Pilate upon his lips says, are you the king of the Jews? Later when Pilate then speaks to the crowds, he says, uh, uh, what should be done to the one whom you call king of the Jews? You see how it cannot help but happen but he is being publicly identified here. See, on first, the first take, it looks as though it's only because they're so manipulative, that they're so conniving, they're trying to pull one over and trying to find a way to make use of uh, one law, a Roman law. But what is this? It cannot help but happen because he is, in fact, the king of his people. Publicly proclaimed, not, not simply in some corner as though it's a private thing that happens amongst the Jews, but now proclaimed as king amongst the Gentiles. Publicly and openly. That all people are hearing and seeing this. Even, even the fact that, that Pilate recognizes this as envy. There's something going on here because those who are the religious leaders amongst the people of God know that they are not the ones in charge. He stands, he himself is the one who leads and rules his people. You have a sense of what is beneath the surface and what's going on. Whose will is being satisfied here? Number three, whose will is being satisfied here? Well, the people, you see, Jesus, they don't want him. When given the option, Barabbas or Jesus, they deny him, he's rejected. They don't want Jesus. Who would they prefer? They prefer a man like Barabbas, someone who, was, uh, who had committed murder in an insurrection. So here's someone who has, who has demonstrated in a rather bold way that he's able to give the people what they want. In a tangible way, he has advanced the cause of their nation. 
That's what they want. They want someone who's going to advance the cause of their nation. Barabbas has done that. Jesus, they can't see that so much. (laughs) Is he really going to help us and give us what we want? Well, Barabbas has, not so sure about Jesus. They don't want Jesus. They refuse and deny Jesus and choose instead Barabbas. Barabbas is more helpful for their cause. Pilate responds then, wishing to satisfy the crowd, releases releases for them Barabbas, and then has Jesus scourged and delivered up to be crucified. So there's the sense here as though everything's being driven by simply what what the people want. But do you see what's going on? Uh, The people don't want Jesus. The people are satisfied without him. You see how there's something so true that's being shown here. The work of Jesus is not for people who asked him for it. He's He's not dying for the sake of his people because simply because his people have asked him for it. What is he doing? This is a work of Christ for unwilling sinners. This is a work of Christ for people who would actually prefer him not to even be there. He he saves unwilling sinners. Not those who say, help me please, and then responds to it. But those who want nothing to do with him. And still saving, contrary to what they have desired. Whose will sets the tone for what Jesus is doing? Not the will of sinners who need it, but the will of the Father out of his mercy, and out of his grace. You see how it had to happen this way. It couldn't help but be like this. Jesus is doing a work for people who had not even wanted it. Yet he himself gifts what is the desire to receive what God himself gives. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Well, very clearly, not for any sin that he has done. Pilate even makes the point of saying, we we see the injustice of this. Why, what evil has he done? What has he done to deserve this happening? But of course, the work of Christ, uh, what is upon him, the condemnation that is upon him, is so clearly not for anything that he has done. He does not bear his own sin to the cross, but the sin of his people. You see how this cannot help but be seen that he is dying a death that he himself has not deserved, but is still a death for sinners for that which we had deserved and is vividly portrayed for us in this marvelous picture. It's kind of like this seesaw where where, where one goes up, the other goes down. If the other other would go up, then the first would go down. You see this, where, where either Barabbas or Jesus is let free. Uh, They can't both be set free and they're not both condemned at this point. Uh, Barabbas is released and Jesus is condemned. Now, uh, sometimes it's, it's easy to see a kind of a substitutionary picture here in the sense of, mate, was Barabbas saved? Well, we don't know what happened to Barabbas. Uh, but part of what we see beneath the surface that cannot help but be seen um, is that his work is, Christ's work is, in place of someone else, in place of his people. And so you can't help but see something like that put on display. It looks as though it's simply, uh, it's simply um, uh, almost by chance 
that this is the custom that has been established, uh, that this is a Roman law that allows for it to happen, that this is uh, even the fact that Barabbas is there and that they want him, right? You can explain all of these things in terms of the historical unfolding of what's gone on, but why was that history there in the first place? So it might be conformed to what's going on in reality beneath the surface. Christ suffering instead of and in place of sinners. And what do we do with this? Certainly, conviction of sin, as we recognize that the sin involved here is not wholly unlike our own. Certainly inspired to seek justice and to love mercy. But why do we have this history in front of us of what the work of Christ is for sinners? That we might believe it. Received by faith. Believing what he has done and that it has been finished. That even here on his way to the cross, what is he doing? He is suffering for the sake of the sin of his people. See, it seems very unremarkable that that would be our response. Well, what am I supposed to do, right? Well, it's about what Christ has done. To believe what Christ has done for the sake of his people in order that we might be saved by it. This is the work of Christ for sinners. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.